the idea would be this we're doing like a like a battle report radio send out and talking about like how the fifth MAGA fusiliers are like coming over the hill and like um you know uh the chuds are making advances and and we can't stop them they're chanting uh you know stop the count whatever and uh there's you know machine gun fire and it's war of the world style you know it's that Sanders <laughs> mill or whatever <laughs> brian funny you should say that because the whole thing would have a yeah like uh uh mercury theater radio vibe and then in a orson wells impression that i would practice more it would end like this suddenly my eyes were attracted to the immense flock of birds, black birds that hovered directly below me. They circled to the ground, and there, before my eyes, stark and silent, lay the chuds, with hungry birds pecking and tearing brown <laughs> shreds of flesh from their dead bodies. Later, when their bodies were examined in the laboratories, it was found they were killed by the COVID virus against which their systems were unprepared. <laughs> Slain after all democracy's defenses had failed. By the humblest thing that God, in his wisdom, put on this earth. <laughs> Good night, everyone. Because <laughs> um, in Washington State, we had like 1,700 cases today. COVID stay winning. Blow, blows it out. Of the, like, uh, it's, it's like exploding like never before. Cool. That's, yeah. This has been the Seattle Sucks Theater Radio, uh, a bit we were too lazy to actually do. Well, you know, people know that we're famous for our production value, so I'm sure they were expecting it. Welcome back to Seattle Sucks, a podcast about hating the city we love. Hey, thanks. Colin, thank you for this delicious focaccia fresh focaccia bread that you dropped off at my house in time for this recording even though we're all alone uh mere uh, really minutes after you let us know that you can't get together because your whole family might have covid so thanks for the food that you prepared with your own hands Um, and brian i i'm surprised you backed out of coming at the last minute and enjoying this delicious focaccia bread i'm eating yeah, uh, when I realized I couldn't get my bubble that I, I travel in now <laughs> into your boat. <laughs> but yeah, Colin, I believe you brought Greg this bread because it's Gregory's birthday. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah, it was his birthday. And I just, if he was going to get COVID, I wanted it to be from somebody that he trusted. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Hey, no big deal. Uh, right, there's so a I'm vaccine, a- right? <laughs> Yeah, the vaccine coming. It's very real and definitely going to happen. Everybody online and whatnot, by the way, uh, make sure you wish Greg a happy birthday. And if you see him in person, sing the birthday song to him. And in fact, Colin. uh, It was days ago. Colin, one, two, three. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Yeah, uh, even though his birthday's passed, uh, Greg will accept belated birthday wishes from anybody that hears this. Make sure yeah, you guys, sing. they did sing it. They sang it to me, but I cut it out because 
two I've never heard two people manage to sing that song in five keys. So <laughs> Yeah, it's like both me and Colin are Mariah Carey. Hitting <laughs> 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 all the octaves. Uh no, we cut it out for copyright reasons. Come on, Greg. Mm. Famously. You can't you can't do that on the air. <laughs> and uh I am not a jolly good fellow, so that option was precluded. Oh <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Well, uh, you know, it's it's been a week since uh, fascism was defeated in a regularly scheduled election. Um, how are you guys feeling? I thought we didn't have to feel in the new Biden era. <laughs> just been to brunch every single day. doesn't matter if it's the weekend. Just out there brunching it up. Yeah, it doesn't matter the day. doesn't matter the time of day. Just yeah. yeah. I had one half of a bagel... Just despite Trump, <laughs> Greg, Greg was out to brunch on Twitter. I was in the uh, brunch. Yeah, just hilariously posting his, uh, you know, living it up on the boat shot. Don't make fun of my food one, posts. One toast, <laughs> one half of a toasted bagel. With it didn't even have the parsley on it. It was the sprig that's left over. <laughs> that was the goal. This off. was this top. was an action shot. It was a brunch in progress. <laughs> that was. Part of the garnish that I just pulled out of the uh, Bar Nyad House uh, Bloody Mary. And I had a whole spread out there for the bagel. And there was more to come that just was not, like, pictured, man. All right? I don't have to, like, load up my plate. It's not like a, the buffet at Caesars. Okay? <laughs> I want for it to be brunch, dude. <laughs> All right. Well, you know. You know, my my favorite thing, though, about the Biden presidency so far is that we can believe in science again. So I got all of my phrenology equipment out of the storage unit and I'm ready to do big time science. (laughs) (laughs) Cut my calipers out of, you know, (laughs) out of storage, knock the dust off. (laughs) Oh, I resoldered the 120 volt lead on my e-meter. (laughs) and i'm ready to find out if you guys are going clear you know hell yeah yep time to party guys science is back baby um well we've had a week now to kind of settle in to the sort of election narratives and whatnot we're no longer doing hot takes now we're doing mild takes right and Uh, you uh, are neither hot nor cold i spit your takes out of my mouth (laughs) Uh, yes oh man at very beginning of covid uh me and a bunch of my friends did like a zoom hangout where we did trivia where each one of us came up with their own category and questions like bar trivia style and mine was daniel day lewis quotes where he had to name uh the either uh the character name and the movie right and i had that quote and one everybody did so poorly on it and if any of my friends are listening they're all disappointments (laughs) (laughs) And they got mad at me. They got mad at me. They're like, oh, who knows Daniel Day-Lewis movies? And I was like, fucking me. (laughs) Obviously. Obviously. (laughs) I'm doing this all from memory, so obviously me. But yeah. I don't know. Just like I said, if you're listening to the show right now, I'm very disappointed in you. All my friends. All right. (laughs) Brian, you should be very disappointed in missing out on this focaccia bread because... I don't care what it says in the Bible. This man could live on this bread alone. <laughs> it's that good. Well, thank you, Greg. I can always make more. So, I'm also I'm enjoying a uh, 
a uh, chartreuse and tonic today, not because I think the you know ancient herbal recipe of the chartreuse is going to ward off the coronavirus. No, it's actually the quinine in the tonic that is a natural <laughs> uh, antiviral that I assume will protect me from the uh, Collins household uh, incubated virus uh, that was passed to me, no doubt, through the focaccia bread. Well, you know, a lot of people think that Greg's playing a character right now. (laughs) Anytime me and Colin are feeling even the littlest bit sick. What is it that Greg always tells? Like, have you had your, like, calcium supplements? (laughs) It's zinc. It's zinc. You should all be taking zinc every day, especially now. Yeah, Greg is a new tropics guy. Like, what's the <laughs> No, I'm an old tropics guy. <laughs> That's why I'm having a chartreuse and tonic. <laughs> my brain, my my body is healthy and my brain is tingling. Yeah, Greg literally <laughs> believes he's not going to get cancer because he takes zinc every day. So I didn't say shit about cancer. Okay, I know I'm going to get cancer because I like bathe myself in diesel fuel like once a week. I keep telling you to use the shower at the marina, but you and (laughs) (laughs) I said to replace a fuel tank, all right? Like you you soak that shit into your body, you know? I might as well be drinking it. (laughs) Well that you know look let's let's steer this boat back onto course. Back towards (laughs) only I am on a boat right now. (laughs) <laughs> look greg about me and color and houses which we've already established is a boat for the land <laughs> um, so so we've had like a week to kind of settle in to the sort of election narratives and one of the ones that i really enjoyed that i thought i'd bring up to you guys was about california's prop 22 where we found out things that were already kind of known at the time which is like obama's transportation secretary uh wrote it uh but we also found out that Apparently, Kamala Harris's entire family <laughs> on this campaign. <laughs> so her brother-in-law was like the lawyer for it. Uh, her niece was working on it. Uh, she had like an ex-campaign strategist working on it. Just unfucking believable. Um, so how are you guys feeling about this new Harris-Biden administration? In well, in other words, in other words, it was a democratic project. A California Democratic project that passed in California where the Democrats have political power and win elections, which is what we said last week when people were like, well, you know, uh, somehow, you know, Biden won in California, but uh, Prop 22 passed, but he lost in Florida where uh, the minimum wage bill passed and and the answer is yeah the democrats won in california and the democrats lost in uh in florida where they are against the minimum wage going up no matter what like it says on biden's website so that's just it's just like that that's how it breaks down no that's that's actually like very funny because uh the democratic party in florida basically told all their, you know, sort of state electives to not mention the minimum exactly. wage like, and to essentially run against it, right? Because, like, yeah. it's so popular. Just run against it. And then, of course, they all ate complete shit in the fucking election. <laughs> <laughs> but the minimum wage hike went through with overwhelming support. So, I mean, it is totally true. Like, 
basically, uh, the Democrats completely supported Prop 22 and Biden. So that one in California, they were against. You're exactly right. That is that's the perfect way to lay this out. Um, and I think that the main thing to take from this, right, like we talked about last week, is that uh, this economy is going to get, you know, one is going to eat total dog shit over the next year and then continue eating dog shit for a while. But it's also going to get meaner and crueler. And Prop 22 is a real foreboding sort of element in that, that we're all, we're all going to be gig workers, baby. Yeah. Uh, welcome to my world. Yeah. <laughs> if that doesn't terrify you that we're all going to have to live like Greg, uh, you're not <laughs> listening to the show. Long mm. Hope you like the salt air. <laughs> yeah. Everybody needs to go to sea is where this is going. Well, it wasn't the only great news that came out in the last week. Uh, we also had Lindsey Graham telling the press that he's really excited to uh, get to work. Now that Biden was in, you know, in office, uh, he was really excited to get to work on uh, you know, bringing down that national debt. Dude, so. dude, he's not kidding, man. Yeah. Like, that ain't a fucking joke. Watch the fucking uh, like grand bargain absolutely happen in the first year, uh, mm-hmm. meaning gutting uh, Social Security and Medicare. Um, totally gutting entitlements. There'll be a lot of bullshit, but they fucking basically had a deal under Obama that, like, if you think if anyone's listening, going, yeah, but like, this you you know, this is stop trashing the Democrat who won. I mean, this is what like you know the libs are like. Come on, Biden. The Biden campaign was so progressive. Blah blah blah. <laughs> yeah, fine. Whatever. Fine. The Obama administration wanted to destroy Social Security and Medicare. Mm-hmm. They put forward a robust plan to do so that Mitch McConnell was into. Yeah. And they couldn't get the Tea Party nut jobs in the house to go along with it. Be- you know, partly that's cuz like McConnell had already like postured that we're just not going to let this president do anything. And so when it did come up like something he would have wanted to do, how much like he's to blame for that i don't know but like that that's how that it ended up he wasn't able to do that politically but it was only because the the crazy fucking republicans didn't think it was good enough or didn't care because they're so racist and partisan they didn't want like obama they bought this whole idea of obstructionism whatever Mm -hmm. it was a very bad bad thing that was averted because they couldn't get the republicans in the house to do it because every democrat and lots of republicans and the administration were behind it um, meaning mm-hmm. they were going to it, they were going to ruin social security forever like the the first like they're going to chop a leg off of it so that it would just inevitably slowly die over the next decades and go away it'd be eventually torn down because people would come to hate it because it the plan they had had to do with um fucking with uh with fucking means testing it yeah Ge- genius so yep. turning it into step one to get rid of it <laughs> from one of the pop most popular things that have ever been done in America mm-hmm. by the federal government, Social Security by the Roosevelt administration, Medicare by the Johnson administration, um, and turning them into garbage like liberal technocratic bullshit, uh, means tested shit. Then also like. Uh, you know, raising premiums based on that and then doing other like other weird shit. I forget. But uh, but the basic gist was, you know, do all these things to hobble to 
shrink the budget of the stuff so so you know you're spending less money which is like obviously we need more money spent on that stuff so but also this time around with joe biden in there he's been wanting to do this shit for decades like he's loved this and he's fucking known for just wanting to go along with ev- with whatever mitch mcconnell brought to him so watch this time they'll get it done but it'll be all that Plus, they'll like partially privatize it or some shit, you know. Like, yeah, I mean, that's or they'll fucking turn it over to the states. They'll turn over Social Security in like lump sum payments to the states or some insane shit like that, and absolutely just ruin it. Yeah, I mean, the reality is it'll probably be a combination of those things. I mean, for a long time, uh, business, you know, Wall Street especially looked at that surplus and wanted to get its hands on it. So I imagine it'll have elements of privatization that'll like turn your social security, like basically turn your social security into like a 401k. And then, uh, yeah, in, in some sort of dumb element, just like they did with welfare, where they turn over the state. Now, the thing with Biden that you kind of brought up was interesting. I, I was listening to this interview with uh, Bronco Barkatich about this, where he was basically saying that during the Obama administration, that Harry Reid literally had to go to President Obama and tell him, you have to stop allowing Joe Biden to like lead these sort of negotiations on the budget and stuff, because he just caves to Mitch McConnell with everything, like the second Mitch McConnell shows up, Biden's already giving him everything he wants. And Mitch McConnell's just adding on top. Right. And so Harry Reid is not a fucking leftist by any stretch of the imagination. One of the last older, like mainstream Democrats with a functioning brain. Yeah. Basically was like, uh, Biden is literally just a puppet, uh, of Mitch McConnell. Please stop putting him in a room with them. And I'm sure that uh, four years of, you know, uh, <laughs> dementia later, that Biden's really going to be a great negotiator in these, you know, in these negotiations, right? But uh, It's not going to be, that's the thing. It's, it's not, not going to be a negotiation. Yeah, it's going to exactly, be just I mean. politics. Their only questions yeah. when they get together are going to be, how do we sell this to all of our caucuses and how do we each spin it completely differently to our bases, you know? Um, that's going to be the question. That's going to be, okay, how do we do this ba- based on how we can both sell this thing we both want to do, which is ab- end social security forever. Yeah. And I think, you know, we're basically, we're walking into this, you know, probably the worst economic depression since the great depression. And, uh, you know, this is going to, everything you here for four years is going to be, Ooh, but the debt we'd love to, uh, give some sort of bailout to, regular people but the debt now that's not gonna stop them from handing. we haven't heard of uh, for years yeah yeah and it won't stop them from handing trillions over to wall street or anything like that but it'll just be for you you know oh rent relief but the debt you know sorry um covid checks yeah sorry the debt yeah i don't i don't think that's happening i know a possibility you could see maybe that happening if they were smart they would get that they would get COVID. They would do the grand bargain in the first like few months and get the get like a thousand more dollars for everybody with it. That'd be smart. They won't. They won't do that. It'll take a lot longer than that to get the, a social security bill. But also, they're not by that time. Fuck. By that time, we probably will have a vaccine. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, that kind of gets to something that happened uh, today, which is. I was already extremely skeptical that they were going to do anything as far as COVID relief went. We certainly, the uh, unemployment benefit was not going to happen again. That that They clearly learned the 600 bucks was an enormous mistake. Uh, as Stenny Hoyer was fond of saying, 
uh, you know, if we give people $600, then they won't just go back to work for minimum wage. And, you know, then where's the economy, right? Um, but I know it's like, maybe they'll do like a one-time payout. Like, they'll just cut like one check. It won't be 1200 but it'll be like $500 or whatever. But today... They'd have to if they had, if they got, if they control the Senate and the House. I don't but even know that now, they'd have they don't to, have to do shit. They'd yeah, have had to. They'd it, have had to. They've been saying the Democrats have been saying for months. They'd have been. They'd have had to do one thing symbolically that was yeah, like another thousand bucks or something. But like, but now actually, that's not happening. Yeah, and I actually think that maybe they wouldn't have had to even if they'd won because of the news that came out today, where Pfizer claimed that they were you oh, know sure. that they had a vaccine that was ninety percent effective, and whether or not this vaccine ever sees the light of day, which is one question. I do think that that announcement basically is that you might as well hear in the background the Democrats wiping their hands of any sort of COVID relief. Yeah, that, you like, may be no, right about done. that. Sorry, Depending on the time frame, yeah. Um, if they are getting that out by January, by February even, you know. Um, but fuck, man, I believe it's real. I'll tell you how, why I believe it's real. And there's other, I forget now, but there's other studies that were all kind of announced this week. Uh, besides the Pfizer one make the biggest news, but there's other people going like, yeah, we also have news about our vaccine trials are going similarly well. And there's one about a, a um, antibody uh, therapy um, for those already infected. What I mean, the interesting thing about the, I, I don't know how you don't see that no matter who you are, certainly if you're like MAGA and go like, oh, they were holding that this announcement for after the election like absolutely that certainly seems to be online their take on it and that is my take they're they're probably not wrong like that they don't want it because if you're that you you look it's like everybody else it's like the entire republican establishment it's like wall street it's like the courts they all saw which way the wind is blowing and we're fine with it uh Mm -hmm. especially because of the polls everyone thought it was gonna be a trouncing and so they didn't want to be they didn't want to change. They didn't want to be the people to upset that balance, upset what was going to happen by like having some vaccine announcement that, you know, even a month before the election would have seemed like it was time timed to benefit Trump, you know? Um, so yeah, I definitely think they, they sat on it. Uh, which is funny. Yeah. I <laughs> they, mean, they fucked him. Yeah. I, uh, if it had come out the week of the election or the week before the election, I mean, Given Biden's fairly narrow victory, like Trump might have won, I, I think that's an open question. Well, you, he uh, did, he wouldn't have shut up about it. I'll tell you that, right? What was yeah, and it was funny too. And everybody, uh, you know, and Trump at the debates when he just kept saying, "We got a vaccine. It's going to come out any minute now." Uh, and and everybody, it's from the actual industry or the National Institute of Health. Yeah. Well, and everybody in the press was basically saying, oh, he's talking completely out of his ass. There's nothing. There's nothing coming. Yeah. And some of them had to know. (laughs) These trials weren't secret. So some of the press had to know. So, I mean, I I have the health reporters. Yeah. Well, and the he probably he had to know. Fuck, he probably did know. He's probably like was hearing from them. Yes, Mr. President, we're doing the best we can. It's just days away. You know, he probably heard that like every few days from from fucking Pfizer. Yes, sir, we're we're almost there, and they were just stalling. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty funny. And I, it, the chats probably actually are. They probably have a point here. We're probably going to find out <laughs> now that they just helped. Who us. cares? Who cares? I mean, I mean, who cares? Yeah, I, mean, I don't care. Yeah, 
whatever. I mean, I'm, they're, not, they're not heroes for doing that. It's just funny. Yeah. I think more important. I mean, Trump got owned. That's funny. Yeah. 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 When I he think sucks about, and he got owned. When I think I'm more, laughing. More <laughs> takeaway is going to be that I, like I said, I think the announcement of an impending vaccine basically allows the Democrats to wipe their hands on any sort of COVID relief. Now, that also yeah, leads, for, very likely. Yeah, of what like you know how effective the vaccine is going to be because it's not enough to make it. You also have to uh, you know get people to take it and actually have a plan, like a logistical plan. Well, we don't. No, we don't. Not in America, we don't. We don't have to do anything. We just have to be able yeah. to stand on a podium and say we have the vaccine and we're getting it out. And in some places, that'll mean your insurance companies and your primary doctor will you know for those who have those things will be like begging you to come get it in other places and for other people you'll just never get it but we will the 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 event in human history will be over yeah however many more people die of it or whatever the people who matter won't and the and there'll be you know plausible deniability of responsibility at that point by in, in the neoliberal style you know yeah. Well, the pandemic in America ended on November 8th or whatever, whenever they announced Biden's victory. Right. I mean, that that was when it officially ended in the liberal brain. They aren't going to care about it really past that. Um, well, I mean, maybe politically, but I mean, we're looking at I mean, Utah just locked down. We've had big we're having bigger cases in Washington now, like way bigger now than ever before. So and uh Stuff, yeah, stuff. I bet something's coming down the pike for a lockdown again. Yeah, so Washington just. I hope, fuck, I got two days of work in the next week, supposedly. So I hope I can get those in before shit closes up because I'm not going to get paid for that shit. That isn't going to happen. Truck commercials are considered essential industries. I think you're safe, Greg. (laughs) Um, But yeah, the. uh, I was trying to see. I had the numbers here somewhere. But yeah, uh, Washington, I think, announced it was the highest number of one day you know, positive COVID tests uh, that they've well, had they, in the entire pandemic. That was a week ago. And then it keeps going up. No, like I said, they just broke it again. Right. Yeah. So, oh, well, every day. It's just more every day. Yeah. yeah. And so, but so it's almost 2000 new cases today. So in the wake of that, though. Uh, I guess we're supposed to get an announcement from the health department tomorrow, which I always love how they do this. They tease it like it's a fucking Marvel movie or something. They're like, hey, guys, uh, well, make an announcement with the health department tomorrow. But uh, presumably it's some sort of lockdown, right? Entering phase uh, Omega 0. or something. <laughs> 0.5. What, whatever. Yeah. But, um, phase yeah, Omega Man. <laughs> yeah. But I kind of go... Colin's the last man on Earth, and he just... <laughs> plays chess with a bust of trump <laughs> college is sitting there these are the best days of my life <laughs> finally trump sitting there quiet. trump bust yep. of trump wearing uh a greek fisherman's cap and uh colin sits there smoking a pipe and playing go yeah <laughs> like i never have to hear greg talk to me about star trek ever again <laughs> and then the chuds come out at night mm-hmm Oh man, what a movie! That that uh, we could probably we probably have one month left to secure funding for that movie <laughs> before we enter the new Biden era where it's all just fun and games. Um, but yeah, about the vaccine, though. I so 
you know, the other thing that Trump was also not lying about was that the plan at this point is to use the military essentially to like as the logistics arm to get the vaccine out. And it's like called something like Operation Jade Helm or something. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what's funny is that's the only way we could do it and and do it equitably in America. I Mm. mean, lots of public health systems and hospital systems will get this out to a lot of rich people in a lot of like elite states, you know, a lot of blue states um, otherwise. But yeah, if you're going to actually try and vaccinate any substantial part of America, the military is probably the only institution that could could do it. Well, that in the uh, at the beginning of this, do you remember the beginning of the pandemic when all the hospitals were like out of masks and shit? And it turned out that like Amazon had just a warehouse, like a, a corporate personal warehouse for them and their workers, right? Or they're like all these like Silicon Valley firms had just like hordes of this shit. And I feel like the same mm-hmm. thing would happen with any vaccine. It's like Peter Thiel is going to have like a quarter of the all the vaccines produced in the United States, and it's just holding on to it, you know, uh, for the last three years of his life to make sure he doesn't get COVID. Um, I think that's the the likely outcome to a vaccine release here. Cool. I'm gonna take all the vaccines. Yeah, yeah, and I, not, he's not actually gonna take any of them. He's just gonna put them in a warehouse where you know they'll eventually expire and just be thrown away or like bulldozed over. <laughs> uh, but you know, because of that, 20 million you know Walmart workers won't be able to get it. Uh, yeah, it's gonna be cool. You know, but, no, uh, I mean, like people, a lot of these big corporations. If you're working for one of these big corporations, that probably is how you will get it, which is fucked up. You will probably get it. If you work at Walmart, you will probably get the vaccine when you show up to work because that's how, that's who's going to get it. It's going to be these big companies are going to flex their muscle to keep themselves like from ever going into lockdown again by, you know, uh, making that uh, precluding that by actually just uh, inoculating their labor force. They won't even tell you what it is. They'll just shoot you in the neck with it. Like when you, come <laughs> you get a shot every morning anyway at Walmart. Yeah. <laughs> They'll just put it in with the rest of your vitamins. <laughs> be part of your part of your like uh, clocking in at the beginning of shift. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, you sing a song, you get a shot in the neck. It's, it's cool. <laughs> well, uh, speaking of the fun of Walmart work, uh, the Democrats also expanded a little bit on their plans because Retail workers are going to eat shit basically for a year or two, right? Of uh, very high unemployment in the retail sector thanks to uh, COVID and uh, just the economy collapsing, anyways. Uh, but Rahm Emanuel, luckily, who apparently is still alive, nobody's taken him behind a barn and shot him or anything. <laughs> Rahm Emanuel was on, I think, CNN. Basically, he cited JC Penny workers when asked about this, but basically, like retail workers, you're like JC Penny workers. Uh, they just need to learn to code. So <laughs> apparently, if you're not able to get one of the coveted Walmart greeter jobs where you can get shot up with the COVID vaccine, uh, your only other option at this point is learn to code. <laughs> it's like the guy in your improv class who just keeps like trying to do the same bit over and over again, no matter what, no, he's like, like, what Scott. audience he's situation. <laughs> yeah, he's Michael Scott and I have a gun. In improv, yeah, you know, it is right? that. Yes, yes. No, it's exactly that. <laughs> yeah i mean one 
I love that this is literally the absolute limit of the liberal imagination is learn to code when you talk about economic problems. You learn to code, motherfucker. I'd like to see you code, you piece (laughs) of shit. Not all of us can be giant fucking failures who continue to get promoted anyways, like Rob Emanuel. I mean, we're all giant failures. We just never get promoted like him. But how the fuck is Rahm Emanuel still around and who the hell is talking to him? Yeah, around. How is he still around? <laughs> yeah, yeah, emphasis. <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, he was the one that famously told you know, Obama, uh, fuck judges, who cares about appointing judges, right? So when he complained about like the federal judiciary being an absolute horror show of freaks, Rahm Emanuel's a big part of that. Like, <laughs> Yeah, he's just a fraud. I mean, that, at the end of the day, like... There's a lot that's truly evil about Rahm Emanuel, but he is also just like, as a political Svengali, he is a fucking fraud. Yeah, yeah. The whole electoral strategy that made him, you know, one of the wise elders of the uh, Democratic Party in 2006 because, whoa, get this, the Democrats took back a bunch of seats uh, from the, like, most hated... uh, in a midterm from the most hated like administration in recent memory uh, and a disastrous war, a couple of wars that were falling apart. Uh, and you know, some of his like right wing psycho candidates got through on that basis and then ate shit two years later, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, uh, you know, Emmanuel was like Obama's campaign strategist, right? He was doing apparently strategizing for the Democratic Party while in the White House, right, as Obama's advisor. And while while he was there, the Democrats did nothing but eat shit in elections, right? I mean, that's the funny part. And then he went to Chicago, and even though he, you know, Chicago basically appoints its mayor, Rom had to like basically ate shit in Chicago too. I mean, it's it's unfucking believe what fucking failures all these guys are. Which, by the way, only comes to the fact that we found out after the election that Robbie Mook was apparently in charge <laughs> of the Democrats' congressional election. <laughs> Which I, we said it last time. You guys need to give up on this fucking party. Like, they've given up so hard on you. Like, just give up on these people, right? Like, Robbie Mook, of all people. Bill Clinton, by the way, when, when Hillary Clinton lost in 2016 and they were in the Javits Center and they just got the news that she fucking lost <laughs> the fucking, you know, reality TV show host. Uh, fucking Bill Clinton, the only smart one in the room, stood up and said, fucking Robbie Mook and stormed <laughs> out of the room. And well, but showed you how far they've fallen. Fucking 30 years ago, Bill Clinton, the, the Democrats have like lost their touch because Bill Clinton turns on you like that. You piss off Bill Clinton like that, you, you'll be like like uh, face down in a ditch in Arkansas somewhere like 30 years ago. Like Robbie Mook is still doing his thing, you know? Yeah, you and Vince Foster, man. Just going to be sharing, <laughs> the same, sharing the same swamp outside of TC. <laughs> no, like, I mean, it, it really is astonishing that a guy who instantly was singled out as the the fucking culprit, right, for this hilarious failure in 2016 is running, like, the entire congressional strategy for the Democratic Party in 2020. And part of that is, I think, so after that election, so Bill Clinton... We know it's not their fault, right? Well, yeah, well, and Bill Clinton, after the election, they very specifically had a meeting where they, Hillary Clinton literally sat down and said, who are we going to blame this on? And they came up with Russia, right? Which is why we have Russia gate for fucking four straight years. But I think somehow in that interim, in the four years, they just started to believe their own bullshit. They were like, no, it was Russia. Like, it was Russia. No, no, they were, they're they're practice liars. You, you have to. 
you have to honor the lie, yeah. Brian. You have to honor the lie. What what consequ- Why shouldn't Robbie Mook get uh, a good a su- another sweet gig? He did a great job. The the ca- Clinton campaign was one of the best, most progressive campaigns ever run. It w- she was merely robbed. Yeah, I mean, just astonishing. And speaking of failing up, like, I mean, this gets back to we're kind of ping ponging around here a little bit, but fucking Biden announced his COVID advisory board. And as somebody pointed out, it was like all doctors. And it's like, you know, you have to like give the drug to people, right? Like, you know, like somebody who's probably like experienced in logistics should probably be on this. But on the advisory board is goddamn Rahm Emanuel's brother. Because, of course, the Democrats are nothing if not just a giant nepotism fucking racket. But his brother, Ezekiel Emanuel, was on there. Ezekiel Emanuel? Yes. The one who last summer penned an article about how basically midsummer had it right and everybody should be killed <laughs> at 75 <laughs> yeah cool well um are He's we, not, are we certain this whole thing isn't a conspiracy led by ezekiel emmanuel <laughs> <laughs> is he gonna end up like this is part of his plan to euthanize everyone over 75 and become himself president of the united states well, and people ask the question, like, how do Republicans believe, you know, conspiracy theories like Pizzagate and shit? It's like, because Democrats do shit like this. Seriously. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, what, how are you, as a normal human being, how are you supposed to read this? <laughs> right? <laughs> but, I mean, just fucking astonishing. Fucking astonishing. But the nice thing is, is if you aren't able to code... And if you're too young to be killed by uh, the Emanuel's uh, murder <laughs> machine that will be in every single you know, city, <laughs> there's suicide booths that they install in every city. Uh, if you're if you're too young for that, maybe you could become a child laborer. <laughs> and there was this amazing article in The Guardian. And uh, and by The Guardian, I mean the uh, Bill and Melinda Gates uh, sponsored editorial, which in global development. So the Gates Foundation essentially sponsors a column in The Guardian where they post their freaks up there to put forward the Gates's like freakish fucking views. And they posted one this week that the title was Child Labor Doesn't Have to Be Exploitation. It gave me <laughs> life skills. And fucking hello. Hilarious. So people rightfully clowned on it online and the guardian uh, instead of changing the content of the article which matches the original headline they just changed the headline to child labor is exploitation but the household work i did as a child gave me life skills (laughs) but i think okay so the gates foundation out there you know supporting the developing world coming up with new innovative strategies and toilets for um, how to get the global South out of, uh, you know, intractable poverty. Um, We've heard a lot of the good ideas before. None of them are end imperialism, but, but now really it sounds like with this article, they're turning sort of their eye back on us saying, stop being mad about child labor. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) <laughs> that and I, so they they cite they find some woman you know from Africa to write this right <laughs> you know uh, or stamp her name on it at least and the whole thing is basically like hey look uh, it essentially calls child labor like a culture issue <laughs> it is oh, like cool. hey, so I, because child labor is done uh, in non-white cultures 
uh, mm-hmm. being against it is racist. I, no, I feel that, yeah. Well, the basic summary is, which I love this, we need to embrace the blurred lines and complexities of cultural norms. So if you're like, hey, I don't think that child should be in that textile mill, you're doing a no growth now. All right. I'm afraid we're going to need you to uh, get with the HR department. You've done a no growth. <laughs> but it, the thing that was sort of interesting about it is, I don't know if you guys remember this. I'm actually, I, I pulled up the cover. I'm looking at it right now. But Time Magazine 2005 had this like big issue where the whole issue was just one topic, how to end poverty. And it was focusing on ending poverty, primarily in Africa, right? And it had uh, such luminaries as Jeffrey Sachs, uh, famous for ending poverty in Russia. Uh, <laughs> Jeffrey Sachs and uh, Bono had, a, had a, like, an article in it. I mean, just all the people that if you want to end poverty in the third world, th- these are the ones you go to. But the thing that came up over and over again, particularly when talking about Africa, was that Africa had these like giant cities that were developing because Africa was experiencing and has been for the last 30 years, a giant move from the countryside to the ur- to the urban, right? Just like everywhere around the world is. And they were looking at it and saying like, how can we get factories into those cities? <laughs> What's the whole, well, basically the whole premise, like right now, people are too poor in a lot of these countries and too undernourished and stuff to work in factories. How can we get them just well off enough to get them into that factory? And this child labor thing, I mean, it's it's sort of all of a piece, right? Which is, how can we use issues of poverty and things like that to uh, hyper-exploit labor in ever new and interesting ways? But it's good exciting. stuff. Yeah, it's good, exciting stuff. Now, again, people uh, might have forgotten this, too, but real heads who like to follow elections, they don't even bother to vote in, like myself. <laughs> I remember her in... Uh, I think it was in 2016 when the Republicans had everybody running. Uh, at one point, Newt Gingrich had thrown his hat in the ring. And one of his big platform pieces was bring back child labor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you want to fund schools? Maybe have the poor kids uh, clean it as custodians. Like maybe. Classic. Yeah. Get rid of the lunch ladies or whatever. <laughs> well, this is literally how look, this is how the whole game is played. Like there are, you know, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is just one outlet that takes, you know, the enormous uh, capital of our ruling class toward, you know, and puts it towards shaping like policy, you know, and this is how it's done and, sh- and giving uh, even liberals ammunition for how to uh, do things that on first glance seem reprehensible. Uh, uh yeah, they're winning at it too. I mean, what is the? I mean, what is like for what? Are it's not like um, there's really that our laws are that stringent about doing commerce with countries that have child labor. Uh, well, and yeah. interesting, interesting as the article points out too, right? Uh, in the U.S., uh, for the cultivation of tobacco, you can use children as young as fourteen, which they do. Uh, extensively right and like and they basically pointed out like yeah like see i mean you know hey you guys got child labor too and it's like yeah that's also bad (laughs) (laughs) but um yeah i mean i i think part of it is i remember i had a history professor who was always fond of saying that like we live in a like a weird uh bubble of capitalism and that capitalism's real face was the 19th century 
And I think what we're seeing, you know, in the last week of celebrating the Biden victory is a real desire to return to the 19th century, right? Like, how about we don't have regular employment? How about everybody is just contingent contract labor, right? How about uh, child labor, too? You know, those little kids that, right, they're like, hey, you guys are right. Like, uh, two parents on, like, minimum wage incomes uh, definitely cannot support a household. So get those kids to work. You know, maybe you need a a, four, a third and fourth breadwinner. So get little, you know, Timmy and little Johnny into the factory. Uh, mm-hmm. It's, you know, it, we're building that bridge to the 19th century. And I'm just very excited. Well, I'm glad we have such luminaries as Bill and Melinda Gates to light the way. Yeah. You know, who could have imagined that a little thing called windows <laughs> would be what uh, takes us back to the Gilded Age? Well, you know, if the children don't want to work in the factory, they should do what Bill Gates did and steal someone else's operating system. <laughs> uh, secure funding because your parents are rich and have connections and then uh, jam that operating system down people's throats by violating monopoly laws. Uh, you know, cool. <laughs> you know, the good old fashioned way. <laughs> um, but anyways, yeah, the, I mean, that's the thing, too. Every the the few times I'm ever anywhere near like Seattle Center and I pass by the Gates Foundation building, which is this monstrosity of fucking wealth just eating a whole city block. It's just amazing to drive by that and look at it and think about how, you know what, inside there are so many urban professionals with graduate degrees and stuff who are just coming out with new and interesting ways to justify child labor in the third yeah. <laughs> being used by Nike and whatever, right? And, uh, and it just warms the heart, you know? Good stuff. Glad, glad the charity's around. Very funny. What? Why the fuck did they run that? Like, why now? What? This is... I'm, I'm telling you, the child labor thing is like... That, that's a, one a rich people think, but that's a Gates Foundation deal. Like, I mean, the, the Gates Foundation is the editor of this column, right? I mean, that's the thing that probably is worth mentioning is the Gates Foundation is this is just propaganda from them. Like this is news releases. This is better understood as news releases from the Gates Foundation for yeah. you. All right. So as Brian said, this is in The Guardian, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation global development child labor is exploitation but the household work i did as a child gave me life skills (laughs) growing up in africa taught me to be self-reliant and resilient putting children to work must be seen in local context aged eight tayambili would walk with her mother every day to fetch water On her two-kilometer return journey in 30 degrees Celsius heat, she would carry 20 liters in an aluminum bucket on her head. Is this a story problem? (laughs) Well, first off, (laughs) for an American audience, like that, for all we know, she walked like, uh, you know, 20 feet. (laughs) Apparently 30 degrees Celsius is 86 degrees. Yeah, we're going to be tested on... uh, conversion later in this article she would then help to pound maize in a mortar and prepare food for the family typically fresh fish caught by her father on the lake after the main so we're building like a very idyllic right image too i mean this is like a little bit of like noble savage shit but okay (laughs) yeah yeah after the main and only meal of the day tayamba meaning we have started in 
Chichawa, the national language of Malawi, and southeastern Africa would take care of her baby sister. That young girl was me. Oh, my God. (laughs) Through a Western lens, some might view my experience as child labor. To me, I was learning life skills. Six decades later, most people from this landlocked country still live in rural areas. Many are involved in agriculture for their livelihoods, including tobacco farming, so-called green gold for one of the world's poorest nations. Multinational companies make billions of dollars a year selling cigarettes in the U.S., Europe, and elsewhere. The tobacco is produced in tough conditions, much of it by children aged under 14. Yes, the really sympathetic tobacco industry. Great way to leave with those. (laughs) I don't know. So I guess this is like a, a bait and switch happening here, like between like, look, I did these uh household chores that yeah were very hard because my family was very poor um but Mm. yet there were household chores that inevitably poor people are going to do which you know we might answer with yeah instead of yeah no obviously it's not like anyone's place to come in and like regulate away child labor out of household chores It, it is our place to have solidarity with humanity and end fucking poverty you piece of shit uh but like, but then immediately it's flopping to corporate agriculture is like somehow the same thing. And <laughs> no doubt, just by using child labor and the original headline being like, hey, guys, child labor is good. Shut the fuck up. Uh, obviously, like, yeah, it's let's do it in factories as well. So, like, well, this is just totally fraudulent. Well, and let me give... Uh, I was just like, hey, why don't we see what the child labor situation in Malawi is right now? And so this is from the U.S. Department of Labor. This is from 2019. Uh, In 2019, Malawi made a moderate advancement in efforts to eliminate the worst forms of child labor. The government elevated the Tobacco Commission to enforce the Tobacco Industry Bill, which requires tobacco growers to report on efforts to eliminate child labor and tobacco farming and significantly increase funding of its labor inspectorate. However, children in Malawi continue to engage in the worst forms of child labor, including the harvesting of tobacco <laughs> and commercial sexual exploitation. Well, now we wow. know. Wow. By the way, now we know wow. why the gates are into it. Yeah. So basically, <laughs> someone in the government in Malawi managed to pass what sounds like an incredibly tepid bill where they ask nicely for industry to cut back eventually on child labor. And this raised the hackles of the global elite and the Gates Foundation was dispatched to in probably multiple ways, but in one small part of the uh, like Phoenix program against these uh, <laughs> these, uh, you know, out of line legislators in Malawi, they is this column. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Well, basically- Basically, they probably are just going into like, you know, these tobacco fields and saying, you know, all right, who talked? And if you raise your hand, you get put into like a Gates Foundation, like medical trial. essentially. <laughs> well, it's it's like the paperwork says that, but it's really just the box from Bridge on the River Kwai. <laughs> all right, go ahead, Colin. Sorry. Uh, no, that's OK. Uh... Child labor will continue until your cultural ad- affect <laughs> improves. <laughs> These practices are rightly considered exploitative, can be physically and mentally harmful and detrimental to children's futures by keeping them out of school. So then this next paragraph has a picture of a kid 
who looks like maybe they're digging through dirt, and then it says five myths about child labor. <laughs> Read more. Oh lord! <laughs> so very uh, Starship Troopers. <laughs> uh, by the way, I'm doing my part. <laughs> Would you like to know more? Oh my god! So I mean, in some ways, this is like meant to clown on the people in Malawi who are trying to crack down on uh, child labor by being looking what look what the the big white Western press is saying about you and how dumb you are for trying to to uh, how how backward you are <laughs> for uh, okay uh, trying well, to crack down on child labor. So wouldn't you believe it? The five myths about child labor is also a Gates Foundation, <laughs> uh, Gates Foundation press release. Holy myth, shit! Myth number one is every form of child labor is bad. Oh That's no way! Th- now this is real neoliberal thought right here. Myth number four: child labor is necessary, <laughs> <laughs> but it calls it a necessary evil. And they basically go on to agree, like, yeah, I mean, like, but it is pretty much a necessary evil. <laughs> so not a myth. Yeah, yeah. Fucking rules. Uh, so Gates Foundation doing good What's, work. Wait, what are the other three? Oh, God damn. I just clicked away. Hold on one sec. Uh, the others are Guardian. Fix your fuck. God damn it. The Guardian deserves to die. Like every <laughs> this many pop ups deserves to fucking die. Uh, most child laborers work in factories. As they said, a lot of them work in tobacco fields. Uh, checkmate, yeah. friends. A lot of them work in 30-degree <laughs> heat and have to walk a million kilometers down rows of tobacco. Whatever yeah, as, that means. Child as laborers, they point, they're toasted. Yeah, as they point out, they're like, no, most of them work in agriculture. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, <laughs> yeah, they really need... Uh, uh, what's his name? Don on Draper. Don Draper on this campaign to save child labor <laughs> in the world. Here's what we're going to do. <laughs> well, that's what he did after he went to the commune and got centered again as he started working on child labor campaigns. But yeah. I'm firing Bill and Melinda. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he, so they point out that uh, actually, you know, about 59% of child uh, you know, labor is con- concentrated in agriculture. You know, oh, guys, just, like, just <laughs> the labor of the antebellum South. <laughs> Come on, man. Like a little kid. Like, uh, <laughs> oh man, I just, uh, yeah, they should really, uh, I want to see some interviews with these, uh, child laborers about how much they love working on the farm. Just like, yeah. uh, yeah. yeah. Oh my well, God. So we also have a uh, child labor only exists in poor countries would be the other one, uh, where they assure you that it's gotta be okay. Cause the Euro- Europe and the U S does it too. Uh, and Amazing. Last one, child labor helps young people transition into paid work as adults, uh, which they point out uh, does not. So <laughs> I, good. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, it it's just astonishing, but it, it is this idea. I mean, part of the neoliberal sort of. Uh, I hate it when I, get, I give my resume for a job when I want to transition into paid work as an adult. And they're like. Uh, what were you doing between the, the years uh, uh, 1990 and 2003? And I was like, oh, um, I was in uh, education as a child. Um, next, please. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, 
Well, and I think, too, that basically this is – you have to see this as part of the general neoliberal project of rolling back all the labor rights that were won through the labor movement, right? And they don't want to just do that at home, right? Because, you know, the Gateses have their fingers in a lot of pots, including international ones. They want to do it abroad, too. They want to do it in the imperial periphery as well, right? And uh, this just seems to all be a piece of, I guess, normalizing. Hey, guys, normalize child labor, all right? That's the tweet. Send. <laughs> yeah, you're right, because they're totally trying to mystify it in... Mm-hmm by painting it as this cultural feature of people who've been immiserated by like hundreds of years of empire. Whose, whose natural indigenous (laughs) was child labor. (laughs) Um, have, have existed for uh, hundreds (laughs) of years under European colonialism. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's, that's the part of it too, right? Is we're, we're talking about the, you know, the so-called natural, you know, ways of the third world. And the other part of it is just this, this mystifying too, where the term exploitation never seems to come into these conversations, right? That the reason why child labor is used is so that one, they're, you know, can be exploited at a higher level than adults. And two, I mean, in the case of, you know, uh, people who are doing like homework and things like that. Right. Uh, so that the adults can be exploited at a higher level, right. The children are brought in to do the, the care, the labor care work. Right. Um, but yeah, the, the exploitation never seems to be in this conversation. It's, it's very fascinating. It's good actually. So it continues. Yeah. However, where do you draw the line between what is internationally deemed a crime and a natural process of transferring skills? <laughs> is international concern on child rights relevant to Africa? And again, I, I, I this is blurring the line again because they basically are saying, hey, look, where do you draw the line between chores and international labor crimes? And it's like <laughs> probably where the criminal code begins would be my guess. Basically, it's I, saying I a line. <laughs> listen, these people, they're not like us. Their brain pans are more suited <laughs> to uh, servile work and if you don't start teaching them as children they'll they'll put those uh warped brain pans to use for only crime and vice i mean that's that's what i'm hearing hey what did i say science is back baby yeah in a big way it is there's like uh so that's literally the exact argument from the antebellum south right like there was there was this great book that came out that was called... It's uh, called Racism. <laughs> yeah. There's this great book, academic book, called uh, When Slavery Was Called Freedom. And it was basically all about, like, the way they would frame this argument. They'd be like, no, like, slavery is freedom for the slave. Because, yeah, essentially, like, their brain pan doesn't hold enough marbles. So, therefore, you know, like, if we just let them loose on the world, I mean, that would just overwhelm them. They wouldn't be able to give themselves to God because they'd be so overwhelmed. So this is like the best thing, actually. But, you know, miraculously, the best thing always seems to be the thing that benefits capital. And uh, yeah, it's just a total rehash of that fucking argument. (laughs) Some argue that child labor perpetuates (laughs) poverty, unemployment, illiteracy, population growth, and other social problems. With the exception of large organizations putting children to work, local context is everything. <laughs> Mahatma Gandhi forged the. To tell those nosy busybodies uh, uh, to keep their faces out of my sweatshop. Yeah. Having mentioned all the uh, classical arguments against child labor, I will 
never mention them again. <laughs> I will not refute them. I'm now an anecdote about Gandhi. Oh, by the way, uh, I noticed that they aren't going to uh, quote anything about, you know, Gandhi spent a little time in Africa with the Indian diaspora. Oh, did he ever. And I love that they're not going to mention any of the things that he thought about the African people while he was there. That kind of like the things this later. article is implicitly arguing that they have like small <laughs> hands and I, must be, must be uh, molded into workers from a young age or they will uh, default <laughs> to crime and vice. Yeah, I mean, that's basically yeah. a quote from Gandhi. Well, yeah, I mean, in South Africa. Yeah, I mean, the Gates Foundation has that painted on the hallway wall. You know? yeah, yeah. But they, they forgot <laughs> the article because they see it every day. So, like, everybody knows that. <laughs> <laughs> Mahatma Gandhi forged the way for Indian independence. The father of his nation knew a thing or two about self-reliance. <laughs> Our children should not be so taught as to despise labor, he wrote in a weekly journal in 1921. There is no reason why a peasant's son, after having gone to school, should become useless as he does become as an agricultural laborer. Uh, Love to grind up my uh, children in the satanic mills, (laughs) ensure that they don't despise labor as an adult. (laughs) Yeah, it's amazing the logic. You could just replace labor and put like having sex with children and the same arguments yeah. would, like unfold. By the way, yeah. another thing that Gandhi actually likes, but <laughs> well, the point you mean, not to talk about Gandhi and his, uh, you know, his Gandhi. Picking. He was truly the Bill Gates of his time. <laughs> <laughs> That's what people mean when they say that Gates is Gandhi like. But, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, I mean. One, uh, could you think that maybe there's a difference between 1921 and today? Since we're, since we're all about cultural differences in this article, maybe there's a historical difference between 1921 and today. <laughs> and also, uh, again, it's just so on the nose to quote Gandhi and then be like, also, don't don't look into his stuff about Africa. Right? <laughs> <laughs> just, maybe leave that on the side. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's got a Herzogian vibe here you're going to see in this next paragraph. So Is there's the dictionary a, quoted? N- no, <laughs> but there's like a refutation of your own argument, basically. Um, yeah. So there's another little uh, aside here that says Global Dispatch. Sign up for a different worldview. What do you think? Should we? <laughs> oh, yeah. I, w- I want this downloaded directly to my brain. So <laughs> it continues. Yes, a different era and a different continent. But, <laughs> Some might say, stupid to even bring up. <laughs> Only invites ridicule of my art. <laughs> but after almost 100 years, Africa's single most important economic activity is still agriculture. Two-thirds of its working population is employed in food and cash crop production. Malawi... <laughs> Basically, that's because they haven't allowed enough child labor in Africa. That, that's why Africa has remained like underdeveloped industrially. Don't don't look into any other causes. <laughs> just, yeah, right. Just like California or like the whole middle of America. Yeah, yeah. Not enough. Not a high enough uh, content of child labor in Africa. Uh, definitely not the continual like exploitation and theft of all of Africa's resources. <laughs> like, <laughs> In Malawi, it is 80%, according to the World Bank. Children, the farmers of tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Farmers of tomorrow? 
are the farmers of today. <laughs> Irish five-year-olds. <laughs> the industrial hands of tomorrow. <laughs> Play a crucial. God forbid uh, children be, you know, trained to be cogs in the capitalist machine in fucking schools. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is real on-the-job training. Yeah. Could you imagine though, if like you know, this was just like Coney giving his argument for child soldiers, right, and being like, "Look, children are just the soldiers of tomorrow. So <laughs> why not get started today?" <laughs> We're wasting time. Yeah, they play a crucial role in the rural economy. They learn skills by observation and participating in activities such as building houses, fishing, preparing food, all essential for survival, and definitely all things that are impossible to learn without being a child laborer. Yeah, yeah. Again, like we're talking about things that are done in the home and in the community, in poor communities, and like comparing it to like wage child wage slavery for corporations. Yeah, yeah. You're basically so you're keep trying to paper just like to paper over that gap there. Uh and it ain't working. Yeah, this is the article's whole sort of reason for being, right? Its whole thing is basically like, oh, uh, you're saying that, you know, children can't be exploited in horrifying tobacco fields uh for the sake of RJ Reynolds. Well you must not want your kids to do chores. <laughs> <laughs> it's like what the fuck are you talking about? The purpose of an of an article like this is, you know, as a PR test. Mm-hmm. It's like let's see how because all these all the shittiest things we believe, all the like, you know, learned truths that are neoliberal hell hell the the citizens of our neoliberal hell like just believe like the water they're swimming in. They all started like with shit like this with people putting up. Plus some bird brain fucking argument and seeing if it's stuck and the shit that sticks becomes what gets like just bashed into the brains of all the idiots on this planet mm. just be how they think the world works forevermore, you know? No, it's like when you have a like shitty fast food job and you're like scared of being fired in the beginning. So you like make the hamburgers good, but then you like slowly make shitty ones and nobody says anything and you realize why am I bothering and you just make them shittier and shittier. This is a, this is the test. They're handing you the shit sandwich and seeing if you'll accept it. And if you do, oh, is there more coming down the road, right? Ooh. These skills are transferred from elder family members to children, from mother to daughter, father to son. But from an outsider's perspective, these at-home chores can be viewed negatively. (laughs) All right, here's your definition, Greg. The International Labor Organization defines child labor as work that deprives children of their childhood, their potential, and their dignity, and that is harmful to physical and mental development. At the most extreme, it involves child slavery, separation from families, or exposure to life-threatening hazards. Other examples may involve children being kept home from school in order to keep the household. (laughs) Sounds like she's about to tear down this uh, definition of... Uh, child labor and that should really just be seen as an example of like 
the problem with leaving the libs to defend the rights and dignity of humanity, you know, like mm-hmm. they're going to have shit like this that um, doesn't stand up in the face of like a, uh, a determined capital class. Yeah. Child labor is not new to varying extents. It has existed throughout history In 19th century Britain, Victorian factories and mines exploited children on a massive scale. Indeed, it was a worldwide problem, not just during industrialization, but throughout the last century. Today, contrary to popular belief, most child laborers are employed by their parents rather than in manufacturing or the formal economy. Yeah, that the other part of it, too, is if you want to learn about how much fun that was, I mean, you can read like any Marx or Angles and hear about what a great time everybody was having in Victorian Britain. <laughs> uh, well, I was trying to have it both ways, trying to go like, yeah, no, to be sure, to be sure, feel uh, <laughs> the bad child laborer is bad. But what I'm trying to do is say that like <laughs> things that people out there want to label child labor are really not the same thing. We need, you know, we need a new definition. They're micro-internships. But I will point out that, hilariously, if you go to the International Labor Organization, their uh, definition of child labor is much longer and extensive than, weirdly, what was quoted on this article, uh, including things like uh, forcing children to work below the minimum age of work, you know, of labor, right? Uh, And all this kind of stuff. So uh, they actually do uh, talk about issues of exploitation and stuff like that as well. But again, uh, can't have that in this conversation. Let's just keep it to about chores. (laughs) Yeah. In Africa, where many areas have no social security or social services... To I wonder support, why that is. Yeah, that's really well, weird. Let's not get into it, though. To support the vulnerable, families are responsible for educating and training the next generation to become capable adults. Those with good life skills become self-reliant and resilient because they can support themselves against all odds. Bootstrap. Wow. Wow. There, there, there's an African proverb, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. <laughs> yeah. And the other African proverb is anyone who doesn't is because they are. Uh, they uh, don't have good life skills. Listen, yeah. devoid of life skills. Yeah. They deserve what's coming to them, which is <laughs> child labor. <laughs> Jesus. They'll be wishing they were child labor when <laughs> we're done with them Gosh. as adults. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's uh, I mean, it's amazing. Again, the whole argument seems to be, hey, look, uh, Europe and the United States uh, worked very hard for centuries to underdevelop and exploit and rob the shit out of Africa. And because of that, look, your kids just have to become child laborers. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> you know, that that's the only way to resolve this situation is to then uh, turn the children of Africa into child laborers for, for R.J. Reynolds. Again, the thing that we keep forgetting <laughs> is that this is in Malawi specifically, this is for the tobacco industry. <laughs> there is an African proverb by crawling, a child learns to stand. Without these life skills, the young adult is the laughing stock of the community dependent on others for food, clothing, and even shelter. The degree to which this has internalized, like, the logic of basically 21st century neoliberalism is incredible. Like, there's, she's basically talking about a meritocracy. Yeah. She's literally saying bootstrap it. 
Yeah. And the problem with Africa is not enough bootstrapping. Like, well, not enough child labor. Yeah, I mean, that's what it's come down to. The literal argument of this is the reason <laughs> Africa is underdeveloped or poor is because there isn't enough child labor. They just didn't oh. have a high enough quantity. Well, it's also <laughs> building a structure for you to view it in, a lens for you to view it that is backwards, that flips the image like looking into a spoon, right? Like, <laughs> it, it's like, it, instead of asking, why is Africa overall poorer in the global north uh and why are people in these positions of having to uh you know exploit their own children for their labor or send their children to be exploited for their labor labor for the pittance that it returns uh instead of asking like what structural things are causing that uh just you know Learn to love the exploitation. Mm-hmm. Well, instead of, uh, you know, reading the widely available online book by Walter Rodney, How Europe Underdeveloped Africa, uh, try just going into tobacco fields and, uh, <laughs> doing a, and doing a little better, you know, working a little harder. I have been involved in development in sub-Saharan Africa for most of my working life. Local context is the hallmark of effective development work. What works in one community may have no place in another, and an appreciation of diversity and cultural norms is key to success. Weird, that was the antebellum South's argument, too. Yeah, also, um, how you doing on uh, uh, developing africa i mean this is like the british empire's argument too right it's like yeah mm-hmm. we're develop- yeah no 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 i'm here doing it we're doing the development yeah, yeah we're doing uh, the work it doesn't work for various you know cultural reasons like we want to build our you know we want to give them the steam locomotive and develop their transport but you know uh you know we just can't figure out how to make it work culturally you know <laughs> i mean this is the big part of the sort of you know, not the only, but one of the big reasons for the use of sort of race and racism and in the imperial context, right, is at some point when you're creating this sort of white man's burden kind of mythology around your imperial adventures, I mean, eventually somebody's asked the question, yeah, you've been doing all this work to develop the third world. How come it still sucks ass? (laughs) still poor shit. And to that, all you can say is racism. Definitely not what we're doing there. Like, you know, we're definitely not creating the problem. That's for sure. It must be some other mysterious (laughs) ingrown factor. It's the misshapen brains of the natives. Yeah. 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 Totally. I mean, I don't know why all the natives die every time we run into (laughs) (laughs) it's innate to their biology yeah yeah every time we meet the natives they die i don't know why that is probably their biology if i had to if i had to guess (laughs) over the past decade there has been a significant shift towards localization local experts and communities receiving aid have become much more involved in development rather than having values imposed from the west (laughs) isn't that literally what's happening yeah, because what they mean by localization is the West essentially in exchange for getting loans from you know people like the Gates Foundation, but also from the World Bank and stuff. The governments of these countries have to dismantle, you know, programs like social service programs and stuff like that have to be dismantled. And so then the money goes to 
groups on the ground. And it just turns out those groups on the ground are literally like Gates Foundation freaks. <laughs> <laughs> you know? uh, and this is called localization, uh, not exploitation, apparently. Well, or it, private. Isn't it a coincidence, though, that like every all these different local cultures across the developing world all have <laughs> the exact um cultural spe- culturally specific uh <laughs> belief in the use of child labor and isn't it interesting how um actually you know their main cultural uh norm is their own poverty and desperation <laughs> <laughs> So that's not what they're doing here is they're turning, trying to use the language of like woke, like cultural, like diversity, uh, cultural relativity to describe what they're actually selling as a universal cultural trait of uh, anyone who's poor. And that trait is poverty, which is, you know, and essentially just the just you always comes back. It's essentially conservative, like all the way back to like Burkean logic of like. This shit is cultural. It's this is where, yeah, like you're saying racism comes from. Because that's what they're saying. They're saying like like the, the desperation and poverty is their culture, and that's why we have to do child labor. Yeah. <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> In all these culture. culturally specific ways, everywhere. Yeah. Turns out you're gonna be, poverty shit, right? Yeah. You're gonna be uh you're gonna be real surprised, white America. When it turns out you actually have a culture that embraces child labor too, but I've I've studied many cultures of, of all the cultures <laughs> I've studied throughout my life. I've never actually seen a culture so poor, desperate, and enthralled with child labor as America. Uh, we're just wait, waiting to get back to our roots. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Well, that and I love to this idea of. Uh, it's the bootstrapping idea too of like, well, what makes these people impoverished is they didn't do enough child labor to learn the vital skills and stuff necessary to have the kind of like wealth and development that the first world has, you know, the kind of job skills and life skills that people like the Trump kids and Biden (laughs) kids have that have led them to be, uh, you know, self-made millionaires. Well, when you're selling it to liberals, the exploitation is always just a prerequisite for development. Yeah. Right. It's like, no, no, really all we need, all all these poor, uh, backward, culturally specific uh, peoples of the developing world with their faulty brain pans need is to commit to child exploitation for just one generation. But if they can all get on board yeah. for just that <laughs> one generation for a solid 20 years of really brutal child exploitation, you'd emerge with a whole new culture of... Uh, you know, self-starters who were uh, on the come up, you know, and you'd have, uh, uh, you know, Silicon Valley's popping up uh, all across uh, the Sahara. Yeah, it was the child labor situation uh, just outside of San Francisco. So it created Silicon Valley. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, dude, that's how they all got their work ethic. That's how they all became rise and grind guys is they were... (laughs) Uh, you know, they had a machete and were hacking bananas out of fucking <laughs> trees at six, you know? I can't help but think of John Carpenter's comments about Kurt Russell here, but uh, that would support this argument. So I'm going to keep those to myself. Programs are now run by talented and empowered national staff. Who were the what? Be- children. 
working <laughs> in, in, in the tobacco fields. Yeah. <laughs> the beneficiaries are no longer passive recipients of grant funds, but are part of the solution. Welfare queens. It's a, literally a welfare queens <laughs> argument. Jesus fucking Christ. I hate this country so much. I fucking hate the United States. Defining the challenge and how best to tackle it. Oh, that... You know, the classic liberal meritocratic strategy of identifying a problem before you try to solve it. Uh, Innovation. (laughs) Innovation right there. Hey, if they hadn't invented that in 1994, I mean, we wouldn't be in the place we're in right now. So thank you. (laughs) That's the kind of innovation that gets Robbie Mook another job running campaigns. Yeah, I think Microsoft got the patent on that when they bought Netscape Navigator or some shit. (laughs) Involving parents enables them to make the right decisions. My advice has always been that children should have the chance to go to school, as I did 60 years ago, to play and to act their age. However, we cannot tell mothers and fathers how to parent or what to do in their own homes. I mean, I'm pretty sure... Disgusting. Yeah, it's like, I'm pretty sure that actually... uh, in most uh, countries that that like, no, you absolutely can tell parents like what to do with their kids. Yeah, and <laughs> no, also, no. And We're saying, we're just saying, no, no, this is, these cultures want to do this. Not because mm. they, of course they, of course it's part of their, the way they think of doing life because they're poor and desperate. And this is what they need to do to survive. Like uh, God forbid anyone like dream of anything better for, you know, the children of the world. Oh, fuck man like that that's really fucking bleak well that and i i get why bill gates uh wants you know the parents to be in charge of what happens inside their own homes like, with their kids there should be but, a uh you know a counselor on every factory floor you know and they should do uh <laughs> parent conferences once a quarter <laughs> you know <laughs> Understanding the distinction between exploitation and transfer of life skills is critical for development workers stepping into any community. Still looking for it, you piece of shit. Uh, (laughs) You haven't identified that at all here. You've mentioned school, which is a place to, you know, teach kids life schools, including, you know, you can teach kids in school about like jobs and factories. Yeah. Uh, Fucking Christ. We need to embrace the blurred lines and complexities of cultural norms. The world should not be painted with one brush. <laughs> and it's all blurred lines. It's just so hazy. It's like it's it's like uh, this is Heart of Darkness, right? I mean, I, I told you, Brian, I never really understood what Heart of Darkness was getting at, but I, ga- I gather like confusion, cultural confusion, was a part of it. Uh, the, the, the sort of terror of going deeper and deeper into like a weird a cultural fantasia that you can't uh understand um and i feel like that's what we're talking about here yeah yeah i mean it's the terrifying journey into a a place that you've irrevocably destroyed but also don't understand it because you've destroyed it and now you're scared (laughs) so oh oh that is heart of darkness then thank you you're looking at your it's about someone a a a settler coming in and surveying deeper and deeper into what has become like a cultural wasteland, a culture turned upside down and inside out and destroyed by the very 
direct but not never witnessed actions of the settler himself and his people and then seeing only the degradation and never the original form yeah yeah and that it that's it that's what we're that is exactly what this is this woman is saying like you gotta you know these you can't tell these people what to do because this is their culture and it's like you did this you you, you're well the people you work for did this like there there are no there are very few indigenous cultures uh you know and untouched by uh capital they should absolutely have self-determination but to sit here and go like well in a context you're talking this person's talking about a political context where they're not going to get that right so like nor is it desirable right right so we're not talking about a project here that is about pulling back imperialism and giving uh self-determination to the exploited peoples of the developed underdeveloped world right no, we're saying the uh, class relationships and the colonial and financial relationships are going to stay exactly what they are. And in that context, you shouldn't, you know, uh, when you get angry at child exploitation, you're really getting angry at these exploited cultures, not capital itself, but these indigenous cultures. Yeah, I fuck mean... Ex- fuck off. Go fuck yourself. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't know if it, it's... Good. Yeah, it's a way to blame everything except for the actual economic system that the people are living under, right? And, you know, uh, Marx, you know, going all the way back in Capital, talked extensively about, you know, capitalism's effect on the, its deleterious effect on the family, right? Mm -hmm. And talked extensively about the fact that, like, look, families aren't the product of uh, some innate genetic culture or something, the product of the world they live in. And if you live in a horrifying exploitative planet or right, in a horrifying exploitative system, yeah, the father becomes the despot of the household who puts his children to work just like the factory owner does. Right. And it's like, that's not good though. You shouldn't celebrate that. That's not developing a work ethic. That's just exploitation, right? <laughs> you know, and how exploitation rolls through every rung of, of society and brings out any humanity that could ex- possibly exist. Uh, and I think generally on the left, at least we're supposed to see that as bad. Now at the Gates foundation, apparently this is extremely desirable. So mm-hmm. uh, just, just, you know, wonderful work they're doing over there. And thanks as always. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Watch out for those blurred lines, everybody. <laughs> I don't know any of the lyrics to Blur's lines. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.